welcome to Side Alpha Leadership, a podcast where leaders can share their experiences and discuss what leadership means to them. I'm your host, David Polikoff. Good afternoon and welcome to this episode of Side Alpha Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, David Polikoff. I'm pleased to have on the phone a good friend of mine and co-host of the Politics and Tactics radio show, which is uh, recorded through Fire Engineering Radio, uh, Nick Papa. Nick, why don't you introduce everybody to yourself? How you doing, everyone? My name is Nick Papa. I am a lieutenant with the New Britain, Connecticut Fire Department. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Connecticut, we're the first city west of Hartford, and we're the fourth most densely populated city in the state of Connecticut. It's a small New England mill city. Um, we are fairly densely populated, and our bread and butter fire is a three-decker or six-family ordinary constructed uh, multiple dwelling. So that's with my working environment. I am a lieutenant on an engine company downtown. And I've been a company officer for six and a half years now. I've been with the department uh, total for about 13 and a half. And prior to that, I volunteered in a neighboring suburb where I grew up and became a second generation firefighter. Uh, My dad is a retired deputy chief from that department. So I grew up in the firehouse and just fell in love with it and just was one of those kids who wanted to be a fireman and just never, never grew out of it and never grew up. So uh, that's uh, that's my story, and uh, I'm happy to, to unpack some leadership concepts that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And then for those of you uh, that are listening, uh, you can do a little bit of research. Uh, Nick has written several articles uh, for Fire Engineering Magazine, as well as has been a presenter for several years at uh, FDIC, which is in Indianapolis. Uh, this year it's going to be in August, and I believe you're going back. That's correct? If Am I correct? Yes, that'll be correct. I'll be going back to teach my uh, coordinating ventilation class. And for, for those of you who are, are, are puzzled at why an engine company officer is teaching a class on ventilation, um, it's not your typical ventilation class. It's, the focus of my program is on how to successfully coordinate it to support extinguishment and also to support victim survivability. So we focus in on, on the fire behavior aspect, how ventilation works from you know mechanical standpoint of you know what are the, the physics behind it, how, how does that, that fresh air move in, and how do we properly remove those uh, hot gases and smoke and, you know, redirect that fire to positively support that, that engine company that's making the push or to support that search and rescue crew that, that's trying to locate those victims and ultimately how to make the, the space more tenable for any potentially trapped victims that may be inside the structure so we can increase their chances of survival. Because that's, at the end of the day, that should, all of our actions should be dictated by that premise. So that's what the, the focus of my, my class is on. And, uh, you know, I've been promoted off of uh, off the ladder company. So I spent some time uh, as a private working on a ladder company. So I went from being the one performing ventilation to being the one requesting it and being on the receiving end. So actually going back to the engine has given me a much more well-rounded uh, you know, insight as to, to how the tactic works and how it should be best coordinated to, you know, achieve its in, intended effect. So that's, that's my class and that's how I got, how I got started on, on the national teaching scene. And, you know, uh, I've been actually shifting gears and getting back to, to what it is that, that I, that I do now, which is engine company operations. So that's been my big focus because that's, 
you know, what I do with my department. And, you know, I've had the, the pleasure of being involved in you know, several projects to, to help improve our engine company operations department-wide. So that's, that's been my focus now. And I'm looking forward to, to getting into some company officer leadership topics because, uh, you know, I've been in the seat now for, for six and a half years and I've learned some, some good lessons, uh, you know, some of them the hard way and just some of them through, through good mentorship. So I'm excited to, to unpack that today. Yeah. And, and, you know, being a, a line officer, a company officer, I remember, you know, I had like no leadership training. Everything was kind of on the job for me. Um, and you learned, you know, through your mistakes and, and things that worked and things that didn't work and that you hope that you, you know, you process that the good and the bad and, and be able to use that later. Um, it took me, I, I would say within the last, and I hate to say it, maybe six years to really flip that switch of like, hey, I really need to dive more into the leadership stuff, you know, not just because I'm a battalion chief now and and I'm responsible for, you know, uh, seven stations, which have seven captains, so it's a total of 72 people in the battalion, but more so of I need to make sure that my guys trust me and they respect me not just the position and how do you get that? How do you earn that? And I really started diving into that and talking to a ton of people and uh, getting the perspective of not only just from military guys and from business leaders, but as well as it really has to start with when you get out of recruit class, you put your first year on, uh, you start to become that firefighter. You need to start having some leader. You need to start learning some leadership skills. You need to start absorbing those traits what they can, what people can expect from you and what you should ex- expect from your people. And um, so I'm pretty excited to hear it from, you know, the company officer's side, you know, somebody that's ridden a rescue squad, or sorry, somebody who's ridden a truck company as well as an engine company and recognize that, hey, I used to do the ventilation, now I need to call for it, but there's that coordination. And it doesn't matter if you're an engine guy or a truck guy, the communication and the coordination is key in order so you don't hurt people or make the fire worse or make conditions worse or, or pull the fire on top of victims and things like that. So without going too heavy into tactics, let's go ahead and dive into your topics. You, uh, you talked to me offline, you talked about control and influence. And, and um, so I'm going to let you go ahead and, and start uh, working your way down, starting, you know, you can talk about the article that you wrote on your blog page and what you've learned and, and, and how you've uh, adapted and where you are today. So go ahead. Well, the first thing I really want to talk about is controlling the controllables. And what I mean by that is as a company officer, or to be honest with you, no matter what position you're in, you have a certain sphere of influence and a certain amount that you can control. And that needs to be your focus. And a lot of people, myself included, have fallen into that trap of getting worked up with what everyone else is doing, or in most cases, what they're not doing. And they burn up a lot of energy and a lot of, uh, you know, put a lot of mental stress on themselves because they're worrying about things that they can't control. Uh, Now, whether that be other crews, whether that be the department as a whole, or just administratively, worry about what you can control. That is the best piece of advice I can give, especially to any, any new company officer. 
what you need to focus on is your crew. If you're, if you're a lieutenant, it's that crew. If you're a captain, it's your company. That is, should be your primary focus because if you, if you build a, a good, solid company, you're gonna, the, your results are going to speak for themselves. If, when your crew develops that esprit de corps, when they develop that, that cohesion and you start training together and developing higher levels of performance, that's going to spill over into the fire ground. And when your fires start going out faster than everyone else's, when you start beating other companies into their fires, not because you were being reckless and racing, but because you were better prepared and you turned out of the firehouse quicker, people are going to start to take notice. Um, yes, you're, you're going to get some negative attention from, but again, remember, consider the source. That's the, that's another big lesson here is, um, when the mutts tend to bark, again, consider the source. Uh, that, that's, that's another big le- lesson that, that you know, I've learned as I, I've, I've grown uh, just as a person and also as, as a company officer. But you know, consider the source of where things are coming from. But hopefully, like as uh, Dave, you and I spoke offline about this, but there's that, you know, you're influencing or, you know, it's that peer pressure, which it often has that negative connotation, but you can the peer pressure could also be positive. You're positively influencing other people because you're pre- you're putting pressure on them with your higher levels of performance, and now you're pushing them to want to step their game up, and that's how you can extend that that influence beyond your crew. You know, you're having that um, that you know that, that second third hand effect because if somebody's seeing well. Well, engine one group A is, is beating other companies into their fires. Their, their fires are going out with first line. They're going to start to say, well, what, what are they doing? Or there's no way I'm going to get beat to my fire. Or, you know, I, I want to have that same result in my fires. So if at the very least, if that's how you have that influence outside of your, your normal sphere of responsibility, then that's a win. Or if it doesn't, at the very least, you're doing your job and you're taking care of your crew. Because at the end of the day, that's what you're responsible for. And that's what you can control. So anything outside of that is just, that's just icing on the cake. So I think we, we all have at times, anybody that, that truly loves this job and cares about this job um, and goes the extra mile, uh, we, we tend to get wrapped up in you know, people that, that don't feel the same way as we do. And the thing is that another thing that you have to remember, and this is another lesson I learned the hard way is that not everybody is going to love the job or treat the job like you do. There are some people that this is just the job. And, you know, as long as they are hitting the mark and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, that's okay. Because this, this isn't going to be a calling or a passion for everyone, but as long as they're doing their job, that's all we can truly ask of them. And, you know, maybe if we, through our passion and our zeal and love for the job, hopefully we can, you know, elevate that, that just a little bit and maybe, you know, infect that, uh, that spirit into them through, through our actions and through our mindset. So, but the big thing is we, we just have to make sure that we're, we're meeting the mark, we're meeting expectation because, that's what we're here for. We're here to protect 
life and property. And I think that's another thing that often gets lost in a lot of this is that is the gravity of our responsibility, especially as company officers, because at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. I don't care if your administration is, is, is not doing their job or you don't have the training resources or you know, in, insert whatever excuse or, or condition that you want to insert. But when it comes down to it, you are ultimately responsible for making sure that your crew is prepared to meet the mission because when the bell hits, the public expects and demands you to fix their problem in a timely and effective manner, period, period. So that's the hallmark of the fire service has always been our ability to adapt and overcome, sometimes to a fault, especially as you know, we all feel the pinch of the financial constraints and we're always being uh, pushed to, to do the same with less. Um, we, we tend to have that, that ability to adapt and overcome almost is, is our own demise, but that's what we have to do because that's our job. We're civil servants. We're there to make sure that the public is protected and that's what it all comes down to. So we need to, you need to figure out a way to make sure that that job gets done no matter what your circumstance, because no matter what's going on, th those, those are all excuses because when, when the, the, you know, the, the rubber, the rubber hits the road, there's no time for any of that. And the, the public doesn't care what you've had to overcome or what you're dealing with. They just want you to solve their problem and you better be able to do it because if you fall short of that, that's going to be your burden to bear for, for the rest of your life. And I, and I think that we, we often, we often forget of what this job is capable of throwing at us and, and the true tragedy of what, what we could encounter that, that next alarm, the next time that bell hits could be that career fire where your decisions determine somebody's, uh, somebody's outcome, whether they live or whether they die. And I know that that seems dramatic, but that's what fuels me. And be, because my first legitimate fire as a company officer um, was a fatal fire. Uh, we lost an 11-year-old uh, boy at that fire. And despite our best efforts and despite our two-minute turnout time, uh, you know, to, uh, from time of alarm to on-scene time, despite how quickly that line got stretched and, and all the, everything that we did to aggressively try and mitigate that incident, you know, I genuinely feel that we gave that child the best chance of survival that we could, and I'm not going to go too deep into this because it's just not the forum for it, but even though I think we did everything that we could to affect the, uh, to make up that outcome positive. It didn't, we got dealt a bad hand and that this, with this job, sometimes you're going to get, uh, get dealt a uh, losing hand. Um, but a lot of times we have the ability to change that outcome and you better be ready for it. And that's what, what drives me a, a lot is that I know what this job is capable of throwing at you. And I don't ever want to look myself in the mirror and think to myself, I wasn't ready and I could have done more to, to change that outcome because that, that incident was, was very challenging to, uh, to get over. And, you know, it's at any time that there's a loss of life with a child involved, 
it's, it's difficult. Um, and especially one where it, it was so dynamic like this one, you know, it's, I, I know in my heart of hearts that there's nothing I could have done more to change that outcome, but, you know, God help anybody that, you know, can't say that because, you know, that that's such a hard thing to get over as it is. But now you put in that guilt of you weren't prepared or you didn't do what needed to be done to make that outcome a positive one. So that's what drives me. And that's what I try to get across to the people I come into contact with, because, you know, training isn't always looked on uh, as a positive thing. And, uh, you know, people that are into the job often can often dread it that's what we're here for. And the only way you get good at anything in life is through practice, through training. And that is my biggest focus because one of, one of our, our foremost jobs as company officers is training. It's to make sure that our crews are prepared to face whatever it is the fire ground's going to throw at us so they can not, on, uh, not only survive and so that the, the people we're there to protect can survive, but we can also thrive. You know, I want to be good at my job. I don't just want to, to go through the motions and get by. I want to be good at my job. And nothing in life comes without sacrifice, without work. So that's, that's what this all boils down to. But having to instill that sense of urgency, that sense of purpose, and reminding people of what this job is truly all about, again, that, that giving people the why behind why they're here, why we exist, why training is important. That's where the conversation needs to start. You know, you can't just ramrod training down people's throats. You need to inspire them. And that's part of, that's the, the bigger part of the company officer's job as well, is you need to inspire people. Because yes, you do have bars on your collar or bugles, you know, depending on where you work. And yes, at the, at ultimately you can drive that train however you want, but in, in order to get true buy-in, to get people to truly believe in the mission, you have to inspire them. Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> I took a, a bunch of notes while you, while you were talking because everything you're saying is, is, uh, is spot on. Um, going back to your, you know, your first call with, with the, uh, the death of a child. Yeah. Um, you know, you look back and, and you run through the whole incident. What could I have done different? What could I have done better? How could I have made a positive outcome? Um, and once you kind of look at everything and said, you know, we turned out of the firehouse correctly, you know, we, we got out quickly, we were dressed, we were ready to go. We stretched the line, you know, we, we caught a hydrant, we pushed inside, we got the fire knocked, but we still had this bad outcome and it all goes back to one of the first things you said is control the controllables control what you can control um what what could have made a better outcome maybe if somebody would have called 911 quicker you can't change that as as a firefighter maybe they should have had smoke detectors you know we we have these smoke detector uh uh, blitzkrieg out into the neighborhoods about you know we give them away for free but if people don't take that you can't control that um the best thing, like you said, is being able to look in the mirror and said, I did and my crew did everything we could do to give that kid the best chance and, and it still was a negative outcome. It's just like running a pediatric code and, you know, we run these cardiac arrests in my county and I listen to them and, and uh, you know, right away I'm making sure that my guys are okay, but I know they've done everything that they can do and sometimes the outcome is not good. 
Um, one of the other things you talked about is, you know, when you start performing or your crews start performing really well and people start to take notice in that, you know, the old saying, haters are going to hate. There's nothing you can do about that. But like you and I talked about offline is, you know, secretly they're mad because you're doing well and maybe their company's not. That's where you have to put ego in check. And, and those people have to, to be able to humble up and say, you know, hey, what can I do to make my crew better? I noticed that your crew's doing really well. What are you doing? Um, that goes a long way. Um, and, and to be able to say, I want to make my guys better. How can I do that? That's, that's a tough thing to do. Firefighters are very, uh, the one thing they, they hate to do is ask for help. So to ask for that help, how can I make my guys better? Um, and start setting them on that path. Um, you talked about how you have, uh, there are some people out there that treat this like a job. And I know for the longest time, we, we would try to alienate those people or, hey, this isn't the job for you because you don't love it as much as I do. And you don't live and breathe it, you know, 24-7 like I do. But you're correct. There are people that this is their job. But as long as they're performing and meeting the expectations and doing their job correctly, and then they go home and they're just you know, a father or a husband or just a regular guy or girl, they don't eat and breathe the fire service, that's okay. As long as they are approaching the job and doing it flawlessly, given 100%. And I think as a company officer, what you exude, if you exude this positive radiance of this job is great, this is the best job, and I love this job, some of that will kind of peel off onto these people that just look at, at it as a job, and uh, they may get a little more into it, and they may not. But I think being a positive leader, uh, putting out that positivity as opposed to being negative and trashing the organization all the time, you're going to go a lot further when people see that you truly care and are excited about the job. And one of the last things that I put down is, um, you know, we talked about the financial hardship. The fire service seems like it's always in a financial hardship. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what your tax base is. You could be one of the richest states in the country. You could be one of the poorest states in the country. It seems like the fire service is always wanting. We need more equipment. We need more firefighters. We need more training. Um, and we seem to, to kind of roll up on the short end of the stick. But like you said, uh, we still have to perform at 100% with the equipment that we have and the manpower that we have, regardless of what state our, our, our department's in. Um, we can't make excuses like, well, I'd love to be able to do better, but you know, my fire engine's you know, 15 years old and you know, it's, it's an E1 instead of a Pierce or you know, we don't have good hooks or we don't have eight-pound axes. It doesn't matter. You still have to perform and answer the 911 call because the people that are calling 911 that are having a crisis at that moment, they don't care what you roll up in. They don't care what your equipment is. They want you to help them in their time of need. So there was a lot to unpack there, but everything you said, it, it truly deserves to be heard and to be dissected. So, you know, I, I appreciate you throwing those out there and let, let's uh, continue to move forward. Keep going. So the next thing I want to talk about too is when I say to, to focus on your sphere of influence and control your controllables, I'm not saying to, to just throw your hands up in the air for some of the other things that, that may be beyond your normal, um, you know, in the, your normal lens, but it needs to be done tactfully. And there's a certain approach that you have to go, uh, to go about it in order to be successful. Um, I encourage people to, if, if you see a, a problem, work on a solution. You know, that's the big thing is we're, as, as firemen were excellent 
at picking out problems and identifying issues. The thing, the, the thing that separates the that from from being productive or, or the good uh, good firefighters is the ones that are able to come up with solutions or at least at uh, adaptations to overcome them. So one of the things that I was able to accomplish was that we got the, the hose, uh, my crew was able to get the hose loads changed department wide because a couple contracts ago, we lost our, our four man minimum on the engine companies. So while we still have half of our companies are, are assigned with four, uh, the minimum staffing is now three, which for anybody who's, who's dealt with both sides of that knows how much of a, an operational detriment that is. That fourth, uh, fourth member on the company is, is critical for that line being efficiently stretched and operated. So one of the things that we had to deal with was we had to accept the fact that that fourth firefighter was gone and that we had to figure out a way to still get that line effectively. And while it'll never be as efficiently as efficient because you simply are missing a body that's, you know, with a, with a four person crew, if you're first due, you know, there, you have three people on the line. That's a, that's a third loss in your, in your staffing. That's tremendous. Tremendous. So you're never truly going to, to make up for that loss, but we can certainly uh, lessen the blow of it. So that's where I was hellbent, especially after that fire. Um, while we didn't have issues with the line, you know, I just, I saw the, the need for expediency and the need for things to be done as, as efficiently as possible. Um, because no, despite how quickly we moved and how, um, how good we all performed, it didn't matter. And I, you know, I never wanted that to ha to happen where the way we were, uh, uh, we deployed was not conducive to, to that efficiency. And that it, it, had we been, had we done things differently, the, the outcome could have changed. So after that point, and, you know, when I was new to the engine, uh, one of the first things I did was was take the nozzle forward program with Aaron Fields because you know I needed to get myself back in the engine company mindset because coming off of the truck, you know I didn't touch a stitch of hose in in years, so now I needed to get myself back in that frame of mind, um, and also I was uh, when, shortly after that when I got transferred I received a uh, you know two probationary firefighters one of which uh, was a female. And although she was very athletic and extremely capable, she was you know, smaller statured. So I wanted to, to know everything I could about uh, body mechanics and how to most effectively deploy and operate a hand line to make sure that, that she could be as successful as possible. Because I knew that, you know, once that, that grace period of us riding, riding heavy, riding with the four person crew uh, while they were in the first couple of months to get them situated, that once we were back down to our normal three-person uh, three staffing, it's inevitable that there's going to be times where she's going to have to operate that hand line without me being right up against her. You know, because, uh, you know, without that third person, now the officer becomes not only the backup firefighter, but also that door firefighter where, you know, you're that, that as Tim Klett calls it, that roaming linebacker, you know, getting more lines, freeing up pinch points. So my biggest focus as an engine company officer, when I first get anybody new to my company, is to get them proficient in being able to flow water without somebody supporting them. Um, so that was my big focus. 
And once I took that class, it was so eye-opening and to, you know, the, the lack of, of, of in-depth training that I had received on, on moving hand lines previously and how much there was to unpack and you know, the, just how deep that rabbit hole was into not only just handline operations, but also, you know, drilling and training because anybody who's taken one of Aaron's classes knows how methodical he is. And uh, there is a true system to how he not his system, uh, to how his hand lines are, are deployed and operated, but also the manner in which he trains, which I think is um, one of the biggest deficiencies in the fire service is uh, the lack of structure and the lack of methodology in, in the way in which we train and not only pass along knowledge, but more specifically also the, the skill acquisition piece. Uh, because if you look at the other fields, especially when it comes to sport or music, uh, for example, because I'm actually in the process of reading, I know I'm sure we'll touch on books later, but I'm reading this book, uh, Peak, and it's all about how to obtain expertise, how, how to ex obtain expertise and how the, the most premier um, people, whether they're athletes, whether they're musicians, whether they're, no matter what the field, how they obtain that, the, that pinnacle of their, of their field. And it's all about the, the methodology and, and what they call deliberate practice. So I just in, jumped in with both feet and I made it my mission to try and figure out a system that would work for us. And that's another thing I want to convey is you can't just lock, stock and barrel, take something that somebody else has done and try to, to jam that square peg in your department's round hole, because not everything, if, just because something works somewhere else doesn't mean it's going to work exactly that way in your department. It's incumbent upon you to take that system and mold it and adapt it to fit uh, your particular set of circumstances. And through uh, a lot of trial and error, through a lot of research and development, um, and it took, it took years. And this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. But eventually, we developed a system that, that works very well for, for the building stock that we have, for the, the staffing levels that we have, for the engine companies that we have. Um, and <laughs> I ended up going through three different chiefs, but eventually it got, it got implemented. And, you know, my company has been very successful and, you know, we've been fortunate to, to get to employ all those different techniques and, you know, operate in a, in a pretty wide variety of different settings and circumstances where, you know, we were able to put it, put it to practice. So it was no longer, you know, just theoretical, you know, we'd, we're able to put it to practice because you know, I love that line, you know, not, you know, uh, knowledge without, uh, experience or knowledge without, um, without it being applied is just theory. And, you know, the, so having that, that practical experience and actually getting to put it to use in the field was, was tremendous and, you know, actually proving its worth because <laughs> one of the, uh, the most contentious things in the fire service is is ho uh, hose loads and hose beds for, you know it's, it's one of those funny things that people get very territorial and, and very funny about that so that's one of the more difficult things to, ch to change for sure and it's it's something that uh you know definitely is still uh, a, a hot button issue for sure but um the, the proof's in the pudding you know and it's and it's going to take time but 
the more uh, the more fires that you get under your belt, the more um, the, the more successful outcomes that you achieve. It's gonna it'll solidify and gain traction, and, and people will start to see its worth because it's not just gonna be oh that was happenstance or they got lucky. It was up. Oh, you know, this when the results are consistent, there's no argument. So the but the way to go about achieving that that level of change is you first off have to have a good amount of leadership capital built up. And what I mean by that is you have to have a good reputation and a good track record. You know, you can't just come out of the woodwork with this, you know, de- department-wide change that you want to implement. And if you haven't been, you know, doing your job or maybe, you know, your, your house isn't clean. So you got to make sure that what you're responsible for is, is taken care of first and foremost. And then, you know, making sure that any projects that you get involved with on top of that, that, that doesn't suffer. And it's just going to take time and you're just going to have to introduce it very, uh, very incrementally and just work your way up that chain of command. And that's another big thing is you have to, you have to follow that chain of command because it's, it's there for a reason. And if you um, want to be taken seriously and, and, you know, making sure that the, the links in that chain um, between you and and the chief, because that's ultimately who is going to sanction whatever it is that you're trying to get across make sure that their toes aren't stepped on. You got to make sure that you're, you're working your way up, including them in the process. And to be honest with you, the more people that you, uh, that you run this by and get involved uh, and pick their brain, you know, when you're, whenever you're in, in deeply engrossed in something, you're very much married to it. So whether you're aware of it or not, we, we all can tend to have blinders and have that, that bias towards whatever it is we're doing. And that can develop blind spots. So when you have people that are impartial um, and have various different experiences, they may pick up on things that you just didn't see or didn't think of. So that's, well, that's going to be the true litmus test. And if you're active, then you should be able to pass that crucible of as you make your way through these different people and these different layers of the chain of command, uh, if your system is solid and you've kind of thought about all those, those different variables and come up with those contingencies for those curveballs that those people are inevitably going to throw at you, you know, whether they're trying to submarine it intentionally or they're just playing devil's advocate and, and being real and, and testing out your, your solution to make sure it's going to hold water out in, in the field, that you're ready for those. And, you know, it may take some going back to the drawing board and, and some, you know, reformation, but you know, if you want this to be truly successful, then, you know, good things take time. So you just have to be patient. You have to be respectful. Um, and you just can't, you can't come at it. You know, you can't be overzealous. And those of us who are, are very passionate about this job, you know, uh, can at times be overzealous. And that, that definitely has been one of my stumbling blocks over the years is, you know, you're, you care so much and that you, you want the, you want things to progress so bad uh, that you, you can at times shoot yourself in the foot. So you just got to make sure that you're tempering that, that passion and you're, you know, making sure that you're doing things incrementally, including the right people going through the proper channels. And if, if what you come up with is truly effective and it is, it does have merit, 
it's going to stand on its on its own uh, on its own um, on its own legs. You just have to to take the time, you know, do the work, and just be patient. And one thing that I love that uh, that Rob Fisher, who's uh, very much involved in the Fools Group, he's a battalion chief up in um, the Pacific Northwest. But he, one thing that he says is it's um, it's ten it's ten percent of a ten percent pressure a hundred percent of the time, and what he means by that is you can't just come at people full bore because that's going to turn people off, and even if it's coming from a good place, they're just going to see it as you're just forcing forcing something, but if you just have just that gradual that presence that gradual influence, but it's there all the time they're eventually going to see that you're, you got to play the long game. You're in it for the long haul and it's, it's going to be frustrating at times, but you, you just got to be, you just got to have that resilience and you have to have that, um, you know, that, that far sight focus and, and keep your eye, uh, your eye on that and just know that it's like I said, anything worth doing is, is, is going to take time and it's going to take effort and you just have to be willing to, you know, to take the lumps, to take the, um, you know, the, the different turns and you know, overcome the obstacles that are inevitably going to come your way because, you know, the, the road, uh, the, the leadership road is, is one that is not straight almost ever. And you just have to be willing to, to bob and weave and, and to, to roll with the punches because that's, that's what it takes. And you just have to be, you just have to be present. You have to be, uh, you have to be uh, introspective and, you know, willing to, to look at the mirror and be honest with yourself and, you know, making sure that your, your approach and that your motives are always, you know, in the right place and that, that you're always aligned with what's, what's best for the job. And if, if you do that, then you can't go wrong. And yes, there's going to be, you know, times that despite all your best efforts, it's just not going to work out. And you just, you can't take that personally. And there's just, you know, sometimes there's certain, circumstances whether they're financial or they may just be personality uh, and that that may just put that roadblock definitively up in your face but you can't let that that stop you you know it's again just go back to what it is that that you're responsible for and just take care of your house and take care of your people and if that's all you can do for the for, for your career but you're you're successful at that then that was a good career and the people that work for you were, will always appreciate that and you'll have their, uh, their respect. And that's what this is all about. You know, it's, it's, we got to remember that this job is about service. We're public servants. So our, we're there to, to take care of the public and as company officers, we're there to take care of our crews. And that often gets kind of forgotten or underappreciated, but, it's as a company officer, you need to make sure that you're taking care of your, your people. And that's doing everything that you can to make sure that they're, that they're prepared and they can be the best versions of themselves, not only on the fire ground, but also, you know, uh, and just in their, their day-to-day lives is, uh, you know, you carry, you carry a lot of influence and, you know, we're spending, you know, most of us now, you know, 24 hours at a clip with these people and, you know, we eat together, you know, we, we you know, sleep under the same roof together you know, we go through tragedy together. You know, we have these bonds that, that, that will rival, you know, that of our, our blood family members or our spouses. So, you know, you can't take that lightly. And as, as a company officer, you bear a, a, um, 
you know, a lot of, a lot of clout in their eyes, you know, whether they, you know, they're conscious of that or not. So you need to make sure that you're, you're doing everything that you can to be, to be your best to, for them. I, uh, there's a few things that I wanted to touch on. You, you brought up some really good stuff again. Um, one of the things that I've said over and over in this, in, in the, uh, the time that I've been doing these podcasts is, you know, I tell my people, you know, you're more than welcome to come to my office, knock on the door and bring me an issue, but don't come at me with just an issue and that's it. I want a solution. I want to hear what you think the, the solution to that issue would be. And if I'm on board with it, I'll turn you loose with it. I'll make it yours. So I give that ownership back to them. And, uh, some of the things that I found that, uh, that uh, they come up with with fairly decent solutions that either they're ready to go uh, right out the door or they need to be polished a little bit. But because they have that ownership of here was the problem and this is what I came up with and I you know I asked my shift to help me. Um, this is what we came up with. This is how we can uh, solve this. We think this will work. What do you think? Um, that goes back to building your credibility, your leadership credibility, you know, you can't be the leader that I have to come up, you can't be the one that says, I have to come up with every solution, I have to be the one that does this, I have to have my fingerprints on everything. Um, I think when you allow to turn your people loose to solve problems or, or, or come up with a better way to do something, like you talked about uh, re, uh, repacking your hose lines to match your staffing, um, I think you've, you'll find when the people who are closest to the problem have a hand in the solution, you're going to come up with a really good product. Um, you know, we had talked uh, uh, a lot about our hose lines in, in my particular county, and we ended up going back to inch and a half of hose only because we knew we were going to get the gallons per minute out of it because the technology's changed, the science has changed, uh, different materials. Um, so we ended up going from inch and three-quarter hose back to inch and a half hose, we dropped 20 pounds off a of shoulder load, um, even though we still have a four-person engine company. We've dropped 20 pounds off our shoulder load. This was something that I was in charge of the project, but I employed captains that are closest to the problem saying, hey, tell me what you come up with and we'll see if we can make it work. And that ultimately happened. They had the buy-in of that particular uh, um, issue that, that was solved. Um, and again, that builds your leadership credibility. People are going to understand that, hey... You know, the chief is allowing me to uh, come up with solutions to problems that are closer to me than they are to him, um, and they'll respect that. Uh, you're talking about you wanted to bring people on board with, with what you're doing. A lot of times you'll have to form relationships, and, and leadership, building relationships is a huge part of, of leadership. Um, you'll have to build relationships not only with the people that um, you're working with in your stations and in your battalions, but also your bosses. Um, it takes time to build that, uh, your credibility. It takes time to build that relationship. But when they understand that where you're coming from is a good place and yeah, you can be a little over the top or very passionate about something. They're going to understand more where you're coming from, that it's not a selfish thing or it's not a complaining thing. It's a, Hey, he's recognized a problem. And, uh, I know this guy, he wants to solve it. If he says there's a problem, then we, maybe we need to look into it and see where we can go with that. And like you said, there are times where you uh, have the solution, but the funds aren't there. So that project's going to get shelved. What I've told people is, even if you're told no, 
Go ahead and finish the project anyway. Get all your notes. Get everything written down. So when they come back around the next fiscal year and say, hey, you were talking about XYZ project, what do you got? Hey, funny you ask. Here's the whole project done. Um, so don't just give up, uh, but but continue to move forward and involve the people that you work with. Let them have fingerprints on it too. And I think that uh, over time you build great relationships you build up your leadership credibility, and people are going to respect where you're coming from. It's not all about you. It's about the team. It's about the organization. And you touched on something that is so important. And if any chief officers are listening to this, and by that I mean chief of departments, chief of operations, the, the true policymakers, and the ones that are, are making that official approval at the end, at the, at the end of all of this, I can't implore you enough to, if you want to empower your people, if you want them to have pride and ownership in the job, this is the way that you do it. If you have somebody who's a hard charger that is, uh, that care, that genuinely cares about the job and that has taken the time out to not only identify in, uh, a shortcoming or a problem, but has gone to the length to come up with a solution. And as long as that solution is viable and it's appropriate for your environment and for, uh, for your community, and you have the financial ability to do so, allow it to happen. You know, I'm not just saying to just blanket approve things, but allow, allow it to go through its paces support that individual in their endeavors because the easiest way to kill somebody's uh, their drive and motivation is to shoot them down when they've they've taken the time and effort to go above uh, to go above and beyond so it's empowering people is is allowing them to do these sort of things and you you have to have that humility to to recognize, to uh, relinquish some of that control, to you know, delegate that that authority for them to explore these options and to uh, allow them to to make these changes because it doesn't matter who it comes from. Yeah, and another thing that you touched on was so uh, so important to to really emphasize here is that. Some of the things that that I got along the way were, you know, who's Lieutenant Papa think he is? He's just to making these changes or or doing all this work. He's just some junior lieutenant. Okay, yeah, I may at the time, yeah, I was just a junior lieutenant, but I'm the one in the right front seat of that engine company. I'm the one that has to uh, deploy that hose, and I'm the one that that's responsible for that crew that's tasked with fire attack. So who, who has the most you know, stake in the game and who's got the most up-to-date experience and, and firsthand knowledge of, you know, the, of that system and, and that environment and what works and what doesn't work than the individual that, that's leading that nozzle team. You know, that's where the, the chief of department, the chief of operations, you may be you know, over a decade removed from that or – so that that's something you have to keep in mind as well too is that you know a lot of things may have changed or you know your your mindset is in a completely different arena as it should be 
but this is where that that tacit knowledge comes into play and tapping into the people that have their that that are that are the boots on the ground that have that firsthand experience and that have that that true skin in the game for what it is that's being discussed or or looked at we're, we're looking to make these changes in so who better to tap into than those individuals that actually are hands-on with it so i think that's something that um you know needs to be put in play and you know and it's it's you, you have to be able to put that ego in check and like yes you are the chief yes you know and you have the ultimate say but you know take into consideration of you know, how far removed you are from those operations and the fact that, you know, yes, you have the ability to make changes or, or have the final say, but you're not impacted by it. You know, it's, it's those, it's those frontline company officers, those, those firefighters on the line that are the ones that have to, to then make do with, with that system or the, or make do with those changes. So it's really important uh, that you tap into those resources and, and, and delegation is such a huge part of, of leadership and, you know, empowering those uh, underneath and, and really, you know, inspiring those individuals to, to go above and beyond. And, you know, when, when people are allowed to, to make changes or to, to have a, a say in the decision-making or a say in the process, then that's what truly develops that, that ownership, because when they've got a, a piece of that pie, they're going to be so much more invested in it because, you know, they, they've got, they've got skin in the game, you know, they, they've been a part of it. So if, if you want compliance, if you want buy-in, if you want people to, to do what needs to be done, then give them that ownership, you know, allow them to do that, allow them to be involved. And that's one, one of the best, the best ways to, to, you know, we, we want to talk about mor- morale and, you know, people always uh, hammer on morale as being an issue. That's one of the best ways to improve morale because when people feel like they're, they're appreciated, when they feel like their opinion matters, when they feel like they're a part of the process, they're going to feel good about themselves. And I mean, that, that transcends the fire service into all aspects of life. Uh, so that's, it's just such a key tenet of, of just life in general, you know, when people are, are when people feel valued, they're going to, their spirits are going to be higher and you're going to get so much more out of them. And the experience is going to be so much greater for everyone. And that, that's such a huge you know, lesson for people to, to learn or to, to remember and, and to value it. Cause it's, it's not just, it's not just some, you know, empty, you know, you know, leadership or management principle that you read that you read in the book it's that's that's real life that's you know, we got to remember that the fire service is, is just like just like anything else in life is it's it's, it's about people you know, it's the, the people that we work with and it's the people that we work for you know being the, the public so we have to be able to uh, to have those those kind of those soft skills and to, to understand how, like what makes people tick and, and how to communicate with people properly. And again, it, it goes back to, to inspiring people and, and giving them a sense of purpose because that, that's how you, you really develop, you know, that you, you cultivate that, that good morale and how you develop that, that long-term success because, yeah, you know, these, these other things are, are just going to be little short-term or, you know, band-aid fixes. And, you know, a lot of, um, 
you know, these things out there, like the, you know, one of the, the things I, I get a laugh at is a lot of, uh, it, it's well-intentioned and I'm not knocking for anybody that, that does it because any, anytime we're trying to, to, to benefit the fire service or educate people, it's, it's a positive thing, but you know, often people you know, will post a lot of these inspirational quotes or leadership quotes out there and it's just little snippets. And yes, it's like the more, the more that we read and the more that we hear, it's, it's going to be a positive, but those little things are, are just little, little blips. Okay. Yes. That, that may you know, jog somebody's memory or put a, put a, a little lead in somebody's pencil, but that's not sustainable. You know, it, you can't always have those quotes to, to, to put fuel, uh, fuel in the gas tank. You know, those law, you know, that longstanding uh, motivation and, and that drive comes from, you know, from purpose, from, uh, from a true inspiration, true inspiration and, and, you know, people understanding the mission and that they, they truly believe in what it is that they're doing and that they have a, a, a stake in the game. So that, that, that's what needs to be remembered is you, you can't just, just do these superficial things or, you know, um, just conduct yourself in a way that, you're just scratching the surface and you're going or going through the motions. It, it takes a lot of investment and it's constant. It's constant. You can't just, you know, make I, one change and expect to, to rest on those laurels and ride that wave and expect it to just carry you. It, it's a, it's a constant effort and you know, one that it's, it never ends. Like you, you need to be invested in putting in the work from the day that you start or the, you know, the day that you get promoted until, until the day you retire, because anything less than that is, is, un, is unacceptable. And that's, that's just the fact of the matter. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, we, t- you talk about, you know, how do you build morale? You know, the, the best way, like you said, to build morale is give somebody ownership of something. Uh, make sure they understand that they, they are worth something to the fire service. They have worth. Um, we talk about, um, you know, you wouldn't have a firefighter go walk into the chief's office and say, this is how I think you should do your budget. So it makes no sense for the fire chief who maybe 15 years, like you said, removed from riding the front seat of a fire engine or a ladder truck to go into the station and go, here's the nozzles that I'm buying for you guys. You know, or here, here's the hose line. Here's how I want you to pack your hose lines. Um, you know, it, it all goes back to being able to relinquish some of that control. Um, take take yourself out of the equation and, and say, hey, um, what do you guys think about the hose lines and nozzles that we're using? What do you think about the hooks that we have on the truck? What do you think about the saws that we're currently using on the ladder truck or the rescue squad? Is there better stuff out there? You know, and, and to, to have those guys give you that information and then you say, you know what, do some research and bring to me what is out there. Um, let's take a look. You're going to give those guys, you know, you're going to build their morales. Now they have ownership of a project that they can truly impact their way that they are operating on the fire ground with the tools that they're going to use. They're going to have a say in those tools. Um, I never understood why a fire chief feels that he needs to drill down into the tactics. Even when I'm running a fire ground as an incident commander, I'm not jumping out of my car and, and pulling a hose line into the building. I'm just saying that, hey, that's where the hose line needs to go. That's my strategy. 
Um, you guys are smart enough and talented enough and, and have trained enough to know how to get the hose off the fire engine and how to get it into the building and get it into the place that it needs to be. Um, it's all about, you know, not really trying to overstep your, your bound, your, your grounds, you know, where your place in the organization is, is, is what you work on. But being able to show the guys that they matter they have worth, they have something to bring to the table and you're going to listen to it. And ultimately, if everything works out and institute it, um, you're going to build morale up tenfold. Um, and, and you'll see that uh, these guys will have less and less to complain about because the fire chief's in their corner. They're allowing the guys in operations to make operational decisions um, based on their experience and where they are in the organization. So I think that... Uh, you know, the best way to build morale is to show the, the, the rank and file that they have worth and that their opinions matter and and, uh, and what they have to say should be listened to. Um, and that goes a long way. Just being heard goes a long way. You don't necessarily have to institute what they're talking about, but, but the fact that they felt that they have been heard uh, goes a long way. So I think a lot of the stuff that you're bringing to the table today is stuff that, you know, not only you've lived by and that you've learned, it's the people that are listening to this show are saying they're probably nodding their head right now saying like, absolutely, um, or I wish our organization was that way, or I wish that people would hear, I've got all these ideas. Um, but I think that once these uh, chief officers, these higher ups start to relinquish a little bit of control over stuff that they don't really have to worry about, allow the, the people that are closest to the issue worry about that and come up with solutions. I think they'll find that when they're in their office, they can concentrate on the things that, that matter the most uh, and the administration side instead of worrying about what's going on with the operational side if you've got good people in place um, that are critical thinkers. But that that's just kind of how I see everything from that 10,000 foot level as opposed to, you know, the 50 or 60,000 foot level of what the chief, the, the fire chief is looking at. Absolutely. And the thing to remember is too, that when these chief officers delegate these, uh, these particular areas with operations that now frees up their, um, their time and their mental headspace to now focus on more of the administrative aspects, which are, are, what their job is truly all about. So now you can be a better fire chief because you're less occupied by the operational aspect. So now you can put more emphasis on, on the budget and maybe seeking out uh, grant opportunities and other financial avenues to, to supplement your budget because, you know, we, we all could use more, more money and more funding. Um, and if we want to progress forward, you know, that's one of our biggest stumbling blocks. So now if you have other people lightening your load and, and taking on some, more, some of these operational projects, now that frees you up to, to focus on the other things. So now, you know, you're going to have more time to, you know, network with the other, you know, with the politicians to try and um, gain their support to, you know, approve that budget increase. So you're going to have more time to, to write that grant um, or to, you know, just take those, those other uh, avenues to improve the department as a whole. So it's not only going to make you you look so much better and, and develop more loyalty from from those that are under your command, because now you're you're showing them that you trust them. You're showing them that you value their opinion, that you uh, that you trust them. And that goes a long, long way. And I've been blessed with, you know, the, the chief that I have right now has 
really allowed me to, to kind of take the bull by the horn with these things. And because I've had his support to execute these things and to explore these different options, it inspires me to keep doing it. So just because I got one project done doesn't mean I, I you know, took my foot off the gas because I had that, that success with the help of a, a lot of people, you know, you know most uh, notably my, my crew, but now it's, it, it inspired me to, to keep going. So now we, we went from the hose on the trucks to the, the standpipe equipment and the standpipe SOP to, you know, and now it's just like we did it. You keep going and it, you inspire them and motivate them to want to uh, just keep in, making improvements and keep bettering the job. Um, so it's, the effects are, are just exponential. And again, you, you're going to develop so much more loyalty um, from the people that, that, that are beneath you because you've shown them that, uh, that respect and you've given them that opportunity. So it's the, the effects of, of, of doing that by having that humility, that ability to, to delegate, it's the, the benefits are just tenfold and it are, are just, you're going to see that that rip that positive ripple effect for for years to come and the one thing i want to do is kind of circle back because we we kind of deviated away from the company officer level but you know i, I kind of want to get back to the the company officer realm and you know just developing that that high performing company and developing that unit cohesion and where that all starts it starts with the company officer the the company officer, and you know, I just you know wrote a, uh, I have a blog on, on my website. It's uh, my training company is called Fireside Training, and I have a website uh, that's uh, firesidetraining.org, and uh, I'm on you know, the different social media platforms. Uh, you know, pretty pretty low key on it. I, I pretty much do everything through the the blog now, but I just did a, a like a pretty lengthy blog post on on company officer leadership. And, you know, how to be a successful company officer from you know, things that I've learned through my experiences and, you know, some of the lessons learned the hard way. But it, it all comes down to the company officer. The company officer is the one that the, that the bucks, it's the buck stops with you. Um, you set the, the, the tempo with the company. You are the one that kind of develops that, that company's personality. And so you have to lead by example. If you want the crew to be high performing, and if you have certain expectations for your crew, you better be embodying that 24/7, 100% of the time. Uh, it's that lead, that lead by example is is just not some, you know, a groundless leadership tenet. It's that's at the heart of everything. You know, you can't expect other people to do or or you know behave in a certain manner if you aren't embodying it yourself. And something to, to always keep in the back of your mind as a company officer or as, you know, just a, a leader at, at any level is that, you know, your, your peers and especially, you know, your, um, your crew members, the ones that are, that are under your command, they're always watching you, you know, and you need to remember that, you know, if you take your foot off the gas, even with the slightest bit, they're going to know, they are most certainly going to know. You know, whether it's as, as something as benign as, you know, your shirt being untucked or, you know, you, you coming in with a five o'clock shadow, they're going to pick up on it. And if you don't, you know, address it quickly and, you know, make sure that that was a uh, uh, an exception rather than the rule, 
you know, it's, you need to be practicing what you preach all the time. And yes, our, our, our slip ups and mistakes going to happen. It's like, yeah, like just, just the, 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 the other night I went in for an overtime shift and I got so, uh, so caught up in, you know, uh, with my family before I left, I forgot to shave, but guess what? As soon as I realized it, I went and I shaved, you know, so to mean it's, you just have to have that personal accountability and, you know, that consistency to making sure that you're leading by example, always that you're not expecting your people to do anything that you're not doing yourself or that you haven't done yourself personally. So that's where it all starts. And the next thing is what we touched on earlier. It's you have to, if Training should be at the, the forefront of, of, of everything that, that, that a company does, but you have to inspire them. You have to show them the importance of training, why we need to train, why, you know, why we need to train as much as we do, um, because we need to remind them of, of why we exist, what our purpose is, um, and what's at stake. Because that, and, and through that inspiration is how you're going to develop that buy-in. And not only that, but the, we need to make sure that the training and the drilling is a positive experience. You know, so often, you know, people are gun shy about training because of, of, you know, what's been, been coined. I think the first time it, uh, the origination of this term came from the Marine Corps, but it's the, this concept of training scars, you know, oftentimes people just have been, you know, browbeaten or um, just put down and, you know, training was kind of just used as a, as a, a way to show you what you didn't know or how much somebody else knew you know, more than you. But training is for growth. It's, it, it sh- it for an, it's an opportunity for us to develop as a crew, to develop as individuals, to, you know, to collectively and individually build our, our skill sets so we can be more effective. And that needs to be a positive experience always. It, uh, training and drilling can never be punitive. Um, and it needs to be a, an environment where people feel comfortable, that they, they put themselves out there and they're not afraid to make mistakes because that's, you want mistakes to happen on the, on the drill ground. And let me you know, make sure to clarify that, that by saying, like, if something is going to go wrong or somebody is going to fall short, you want it to be in the sterile and controlled environment of, of the drill ground because the fire ground is unforgiving. You know, the fire ground is very dynamic. It's fast paced. You know, we, we don't have control over the, uh, over the different variables. So where we want it to happen and to, to identify those, those weaknesses and those shortcomings is on the drill ground. And we need to make sure that we're not putting people down and we're not, making them feel ashamed or, or nervous of, uh, of, of falling short because we need to let them know that we're there to pick them up, that it's okay, that even us as company officers or, um, or chief officers, you know, whoever's doing, doing your training, that it's okay to make mistakes. And that's why a lot of times, especially if we're doing something new, I always go first. I do it first. That way if something uh, doesn't go according to plan or, you know, there, uh, or I you know, make a mistake, you know, it's, it, it makes the crew feel a lot better and more inclined to, to, to participate and to take that fear away. Because if they saw that the, that, that the lieutenant or the, you know, whoever, if they made a mistake and it wasn't a big deal and that they owned it and they said, and, and not only this, but you take every mistake or shortcoming 
and you take it and you spin it into a positive and say, hey, this is a, a, a common thing that can go wrong. Here's why it happened. Here's how we can prevent it. And if it happens to you, here's how you overcome it. So you turn it, you, you spin that, that, that negative of, of making a mistake or you know, something going wrong and you turn it into a positive learning experience. So now that, that shows humility on, on the trainer's part by, uh, by again, showing them that you're human and that you're, you're not perfect or infallible and that, you know, that mistakes are going to happen and that they're, that they're okay as long as we own them. And we, we look into why they happened, how they happened. And we take every step in our, in our power to make sure that they don't happen again. And if you, if you develop that environment and you show them that the training and the drilling is, is for them, it's to make sure that, that they're the best, uh, they, they reach their full potential. That's they're, they're the best firefighter that they can be. And it's to make sure that, that they come home at the end of the shift in one piece because you know, their safety and well-being is our responsibility as company officers. So they need to know that, that everything that you're doing is coming from a place of legitimacy, that it's coming from a place of, um, that it's well-intentioned, you know, that they're, you're doing it with their best interest in mind. So when they understand that and they truly believe it, um, they're, you're going to have that, buy, that buy-in that's, that's so often lacking and they're not going to be, uh, they're, they're not going to be so apprehensive or, or resistive to, to training. And as long as you, you keep the scope focused and, you know, you keep it, uh, um, everything realistic and you keep it uh, manageable and you, you take it, I think things being taken in small doses is, is, a, is a much better approach. It's, it's going to be taken a, a, a lot better and, and people aren't going to have that, that negative association or that negative connotation with training. And uh, another thing that's often overlooked is that, um, you know, Jocko, I know you're a, a, you follow Jocko and his work and, you know, he talks about this whole concept of flanking and what he means by that is, you know, not saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to drill or we're going to go out and train and making it this whole formal to do. I do a lot of the bulk of my training is on the fly. It's off the cuff. It's opportunistic. You know, we clear up from a medical call or uh, we clear up from an alarm and we start talking about the building construction and we start talking about, Hey, if that, if that apartment was, was on fire and you know, that bedroom where we treated that patient was the fire room, you know, how would we, you know, how would you stretch? Where would your drop point be? You know, how would you navigate through, uh, through this layout? And you start picking apart, you know, how these buildings are constructed because, you know, every, every district is, has its is nuance and has its own particular styles. And like for us, like those three deckers and six families, those are, are predominantly what we operate in. And they have a very standard layout, you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to follow the same footprint. So we take that opportunity to constantly drill in that, that size up, that understanding of the building construction and the building layout. So when we inevitably, you know, roll up to, to that, one of those buildings on fire and most of the time we have zero visibility, they're in, in such habit of, of sizing up the building and picking apart the construction features and, you know, they can anticipate how it's going to be laid out. So when they do encounter that, that zero visibility lights out situation, 
they kind of know and, and can anticipate what the layout's going to be, and they can better navigate their way through that uh, that occupancy because you know they they know how the rooms are or, are oriented and configured. So that is so much of that. That should be really to be the bulk of your training, and half the time they don't even realize that they're training, and you pose a lot of it as as questions. It's like, hey, you know what? You know, did you notice how that, that place was laid out? Or, hey, did you, was there a well hole when we came up the stairs? You know, or, okay, if there was a well hole, is it going to be big enough to get your line through? And you start picking their brains. And it's, hey, how, how would you stretch the line if we had a fire in, in that back bedroom? And you get them talking. So it's, you, you're just, you're leading them. And, uh, and you're, you're kind of, you're, you're throwing them those, those softballs. And before you know it, you know, 15, 20 minutes has gone by. And you, 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 you were just talking tactics the whole time. And they don't even, and half the time they don't even realize what, what just happened. And then you just go off on your merry way. And there you go. You just logged another 20, 30 minutes of training. And, you know, however many, you know, you multiply that by however many calls you've done throughout the day. And before you know it, you've got your, you know, a couple hours of training logged without even actually trying. And then, you know, of course, that's not saying this is, this is a substitute for, for hands-on drilling and, and practicing uh, the different techniques and, and procedures that we have to do. Not, nothing replaces that. And we absolutely have to still do that. But it, that shouldn't be the, the primary focus the majority of the time. You know, you can, you know, f- you know flank the guys with this, especially if you have, this is definitely should be the, more of the approach for as, you know, you have more senior firefighters, especially if you have a, a, a more tenured crew, you know, they tend to appreciate this training more because it's, it doesn't, it doesn't seem as rudimentary. And, you know, then, you know, I find that you know, this is a great opportunity for you to learn as a company officer, if you got a you know, more senior crew and now you're picking their brain about how they would go about certain things, or, you know, especially if you have people that have trade backgrounds and you can start picking, uh, picking their brains about, you know, the different construction features and how things are laid out and, uh, the more you can tap into people's experiences and, you know, people's skill sets and abilities and, you know, bring that out of them and get them talking and them, you know, you know, leading that, that drill or that training session, the better off you're going to be and the, the, the more into it they're going to be. And that's, that, that's such a huge part of it is, is your, your job as a company officer or as a leader is to identify those, those strengths and those, um, unique skill sets in the backgrounds of, of all the people that, that you work with and to allow them to, to utilize the, those talents, to empower them, to bring those to the table, because that's, that's what makes a crew a crew is everybody has a different background a different upbringing. Um, there are d- uh, different strengths and weaknesses. So if we can promote those strengths and, you know, it cover uh, and cover the blind spots and those weaknesses. That's what makes a real team. That's what makes a true fire company. And that's how you become a, a high performing, uh, a high performing unit is by, you know, pro- you know, promoting those strengths and, you know, covering each other on, on each other's weaknesses. And that, that, that's where this all comes from. And there's no better way to build trust, to build unit cohesion, to um, enhance performance, and through training and drilling, that's, that's the, where, where the heart of that, uh, all of that comes from. And another thing, it, it, Peter, that this is kind of like my, my secret weapon and uh, for, 
for leadership is um, is is humor. You know, we it's, this this is in in my opinion, and I know we we anybody who's listening to this can can share the sentiment. But this is the best job in the world. I mean, there's there's no there's no job in my eyes that's that's better than this. So it, we and and we have fun doing it. And I think that's another thing that. Like yes, we, we still need to be professionals, and especially as as officers and the higher up you go up the the, the chain of command, you know there's a certain decorum that you need to you know to to hold and a certain standard that you have to uphold. But you can still have fun doing the job. You can st- it's okay to laugh. It's okay to smile. Um, you know the more the more levity you bring, you know, obviously if the you know uh, appropriate to the situation the more relaxed people are going to be, um, the more resilient that, that they'll, they'll become. And, and that's always been my go-to is, uh, is to keep people laughing, to keep things lighthearted. And it, it just makes everything so much more enjoyable. And um, it, it, again, it further develops that, uh, that relationship and that bond together, because the more you're having fun, the more you're laughing, the, the you know, the more people's guard gets, gets uh, their guards get dropped down and, the more you get to see that, that person for who they are. And, and that's so, so much of this job is, is being able to, to read people and, and to, to understand what makes, what makes them tick and what they're all about. And so much of what, what gets lost, I think, in, in, you know, in, in these shortcomings that, that leaders and company officers have is they don't, they don't know their, their, their people truly. And because we, we have such uh like intimate relationships with, with, with our coworkers, because again, you know, we we are cooking meals and eating together at the same table. We're sleeping under the same roof. We're going through all of these hardships together. You know, we're spending a great deal of our lives with, with these people. So, you know, you're going to see the best and worst of these people throughout your time. And you need to know, you know, everything about them, you know, what, you know, about their personality, about their home life, about their hobbies, their interests, you know, what their learning styles are, all of these different aspects of what makes them who they are. Because until you understand that whole dynamic, you can't lead them to the best of your ability because, you know, you, you can't just have a, a cookie cutter approach to how you, you lead, lead people into how you lead fire companies, because everybody is going to be different. And, you know, they're, they're going to be different people are going to be receptive to different approaches to different styles. Um, you know, whether that be learning styles or just, you know, what have you. So you need to be able to understand, uh, just these, the different aspects of, of this, this human dynamic. So you can, you know, properly adapt and modulate your approach to, to get the, you know, the, the best out of this person. And once you do that, and then again, that, that shows the person that you're invested, that you, that you're taking the time to get to know them, that you're taking the time to, and the effort to, um, to modulate your approach, to make sure that, you know, they're, they're receiving the information in the way that best, um, resonates with them. And you're taking those, the, those extra steps to make sure that, that they're successful, and that just goes a, it goes a long way when, when people feel like they're being appreciated and that they're being seen for who they are and that you, you're doing everything that you can to accommodate that. When you show them that respect and you show them that level of, of, of caring and effort, it's going to be reciprocal. 
they're going to then do the same thing for you. You know, because if you're, it's that, you know, you know, one hand washes the other and they're, they're going to be, that's going to develop that loyalty. That's going to develop that, that true relationship and that bond. And they'll go to, and, and they'll go to bat for you, you know, because they know that you're willing to do it for them. And it just, again, it takes time and consistency and over time, they're going to see, you know, what you're all about and that your intentions are pure and that you're, you're really that there for their best interests. And once you, once you achieve that, uh, the sky's the limit. The sky is, is literally the, the limit. I, uh, that's great stuff. And, and you know, from a, a company officer's perspective, uh, being able to, you know, put that information out there for, for people that are looking to come through the ranks to, to be able to, to understand your people and to see the, the human side of them and, and to draw from them their strengths uh, to make sure that they feel they're part of the shift and included on the shift is huge. And, and that, that brings the whole shift together to be able to, uh, to, to work with each other as well as perform on the fire ground. We're at the, uh, the hour and 20 minute mark. I mean, we've had some just fantastic stuff, Nick, and I appreciate you being on the show and, and giving that, that company officer's perspective as opposed to the chief officer's perspective, because I think that that's so important and, uh, being able to, to just kind of lay it out there. So for, for people who are looking that they wanted to move forward in their career to kind of have an understanding or a glimpse of what a company officer thinks about or what they should be thinking about in order to build relationships and become, you know, a good leader to build that, to start that, that process of building leadership credibility. You brought a lot of good stuff to the table. So again, Nick, I really appreciate you taking your time out of your schedule to be on my show, um, to, to put down some words of wisdom. So, um, go ahead and, uh, before we sign off, talk about, you talked about your blog, where can people find, uh, your blog, uh, what the website is so people can tune in and, and, uh, take a look at what you're writing. All right. And you know, one, one closing sentiment I just want to leave with everybody is that, you know, I'm sure there's people listening from, from all ranks and all positions within the fire service. And this is a leadership podcast and you don't need rank to be a leader. Okay. Leadership and rank are not, are not synonymous. Okay. One does not guarantee, you know, guarantee the other. So leadership is at all, it exists at all levels. And if you want to, to be, if you want to, to be a leader, you don't, the time to do that is not when the promotional exam um, is announced. You need to, uh, to lead at every level, lead at every level and, and, and at all times. So, you know, be the, you know, be that person now. And there's no matter where you are in the fire service from, you know, probie, you know, or, you know, backstep firefighter all the way up the chain of command, you know, you can have an impact. Okay. Just understand, you know, understand your lens and your, your scope. And, if, you know, and if you stay, stay within that and you recognize that and you control your controllables, and you do the you do the right thing. It's that's what leadership is about, and you'll 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 build that capital and build that reputation. And then, if you do care to to rise up the chain of command and promote, then it's going to be that you'll be that much more successful because you've you've done the work, and you're not you're it's not just for real now because you pin the bars on your collar. So it, it everybody can 
everybody can make a difference and leadership, you know, exists at all levels. And there's, there's no such thing as, as, as Aaron Field says, there's no such thing as informal leadership. It exists at all levels. So as far as, uh, you know, where you can, can get a hold of me and you know, take a look at the things that, uh, that I've done and, and, and currently doing, uh, firesidetraining.org is kind of, uh, encompasses all of that. Uh, I've also have, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, but I've got a very, very, you know, um, you know, low profile presence on there. So everything I'm pretty much doing now, as far as content is through the website and you know, through the blog. I also have a book that's going to be coming out through fire engineering and should be uh, announced any day. Now it's, we're just waiting for it to come back from the printer. So pretty excited about that. And they'll be out at FDIC in August and that'll be the big release of the book. And uh, you can get a hold of me through, through the website, through social media um, or at uh, fireside training at yahoo.com is my email address you know, feel free to reach out to me through any of those avenues. And I'd be happy to, um, to talk to you through, you know, through there, or if you, you know, prefer to, to talk on the phone, which is, is my preference. I'm a little bit more old school when it comes to that. I'd much rather just, uh, you pick up the phone and have a conversation because there's you know so much lost just in text. And, uh, you know, I, uh, more than happy to talk to anybody about uh, anything that we've spoken about today or, or anything else for that matter. So, you know, my, you know, my, my door is always open, so to speak. So that's where you can get a hold of me. And Dave, I just want to thank you for the, the invitation. It's uh, it's a pleasure as always. And I hope uh, the conversations that we had today will uh, be a source of inspiration or a source of, uh, of guidance for, for somebody who's, um, who is a company officer or is aspiring to be one. Absolutely. And I have no doubt that it will. So again, Nick, thanks for being on the show and, uh, be safe out there, and uh, for everybody else, um, tune in to this particular show. We'll be coming up in July. Uh, if you haven't you had a chance yet, uh, go back and listen to some of the past episodes. Uh, they're all good, in my opinion. So with that, Nick, again, thanks for being on the show, and, and be safe out there. My pleasure. Thanks, Dave. You too.